chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be referring to several bits at the beginning of um, the book of Genesis as we go through. Okay, the purpose of this course, the purpose of freedom in Christ, is for you to walk free in the freedom that Christ has won for you as a believer. John 8.32 says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Fantastic. So if we're going to, going to work through this, what does it mean to walk free? First of all, we need to know who am I? Who am I? Where I have come from? If you take me for an example, I, you could say to me, who, who are you? And I could tell you, well, my name is Stuart. And you might say, well, that's just your name. You might say, well, you know, I'm a pastor. They say, well, that's just, that's just what you do. I could maybe say, well, I'm six foot tall. I used to have nice long brown hair which I don't have so much anymore, but they say, well that's, just, well, that's just what you look like. And so there comes a question, well, who are you? Who are you? What, what does it mean to be you? What if we put you on the operating table and maybe we took a part off you? If you lost an arm or something, or we had a transplant, would you still be you if you lost a bit of you or a bit got changed? And the question comes, what makes up the real me? What makes up the real me? And the Bible has some things to say about that, who you are, what you're about. And it has some clear things to see. The first thing it says, Genesis 1, go to verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So we were made in the image of God. That's what the Bible says. We're made in the image of God. It says if you go to John uh, 4, 24, it says, God is not flesh and blood, but is spirit. So the reality is we have a physical body, which you can see. It's what you see when you look in the mirror. But there's also a dynamic to us, which is unseen, a spiritual part of us. Because God is spirit. There is, there is this kind of unseen part that makes it up. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So we have this element to us, which is physical, but also an element, a dynamic to us, which is unseen, which is spiritual. And this is how we were designed to be. Now, the Bible says um, that we were all descended from one couple. Who were they? They were Adam and Eve. That's what the Bible says. Now, if you do some scientific study, which I haven't done, I've just what other people have done and you study things called mitochondrial DNA and Y chromosomes and things like that apparently scientists have worked out that actually we are descended from one man and one woman because they can study these genetics and they can actually work out ultimately we say some common history some common and ancestry and um, that's good to know because it means it's all consistent with the Bible which is always a good thing and so we were we were originally descended from this one couple Adam and Eve and what does the Bible say about Adam and Eve well it first of all said that they were physically alive when God made Adam he was alive he was a guy he walked around he had a physical part of his being but he also had a spiritual dynamic to his being because he was made in the image of God. And just like him, we can, we're physically alive. We can see and touch and taste and move around and kind of do all those things. But it also says he was spiritually alive. He was spiritually alive. He had a connection to God in a spiritual sense, which is how we were designed to be. And what it meant was that Adam 
had a whole different quality of life, more than just a physical existence. He was spiritually alive, connected to God in perfect union with him because he'd been made in his image, placed in the garden, and that's how life was actually intended to be. That's how life was designed from the beginning. Because we were looking at the beginning of the book, it tells us how it's all beginning um, to be sorted out. And there were three things that came with having that kind of life connected to God. The first one is significance. If you've got your Bible open, Genesis 1, 28. It says, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heaven and every other living thing that lives upon the earth. Adam didn't have to search for significance. He didn't have to try and find it. He was given it. He had it as part of who he was. He was given a role. He was there. He was to look after creation. So he had a great significance in God's plans. So there he was. He had significance. The next thing he said, he had security. If we go on the next verse, and it says, And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. He was totally safe in the presence of God. Everything he needed, provided by God. Food, companionship, shelter, everything. It was there. In fact, fair to say that he had, no, he had no concept of need. He didn't need anything because he had everything. That's how he was designed. And the third thing there was acceptance. Adam had an intimate relationship with God. He could talk to him at any time, have his full attention. And Adam also got Eve. Genesis 2, chapter 18. It says, Then Lord said, It's not good for man to be alone. Every woman in the house says, Amen. It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And we get Eve. And we have the companionship between male and female. So Adam had a sense of belonging. He had Eve. They had companionship together. They were accepted by one another. They were accepted by God. There was this kind of perfect harmony there. It says in, uh, I think it's verse 25, at the end it says, They were both naked, the man and the woman, and they were unashamed. There was nothing for them to hide. There was nothing between them that could come, that could cause any problems. It was all open and honest. They had no sense of worry. Nothing could come in. They belonged to one another and they belonged to God. And so everything was going well. So they had acceptance, significance and security. Okay. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? The fall. Okay, in your Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, in the beginning, God created everything, heavens and the earth, man, all the animals, all the fishes, the stars in heaven, everything was going well. Then what happened in Genesis chapter 3? Everything broke. And if we follow through the storyline of the Bible, everything from Genesis 3 to Revelation sort of 20 is God sorting out the problem. Then you have the final couple of chapters of the book, basically everything coming together as it was intended to be. So everything goes wrong and there is the consequences of the fall. Adam and Eve sin, they turn their, their back on God, they are tempted by Satan, the enemy, it all goes wrong. Um, and it says, um, God had warned them in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, it says, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from when you will eat it, you will certainly die. Adam and Eve ate the fruit and what happened? Did they die? Eventually, yes. They didn't die instantly. They died eventually. But something did happen straight away. They died spiritually. There was a spiritual death. The connection between them and God was broken. 
and the consequences of that, we feel the repercussions today. They were from then forward, born physically alive, but born, but also but spiritually dead at the same time. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgression. So although we are born alive, we are spiritually dead. And the effects of spiritual death for them and for us are horrendous. They are incredible. They are massive. The first one was the, knowledge, uh, the lost knowledge of God. The lost knowledge of God. The, um, what they had, they, they had this connection with God. They had this knowing of God, this relationship with God, and that was broken. As a consequence, what did Adam try and do? He tried to hide from God. Is that one of the most ridiculous things in the world? Trying to hide from the creator of everything, who can see everything? Hands up, remember when they were young, would try to hide when they knew they were in trouble. I can still remember vividly a story where I literally ran away and hid when I knew I had been caught at something. They tried to hide. My kids still do it now as if running into the next room is going to save them. I am all seeing and all knowing in my house and I know they have done wrong. But they run and they hide. It says in Genesis 3, 7 and 8, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. There was this brokenness in their relationship. Paul describes Adam and his descendants in Ephesians 4. He says they were darkened in their understanding. The knowledge that they had had was gone. The knowledge of God. They they just didn't understand anymore because something had been broken. Paul also says that someone who is spiritually dead cannot discern the things of God. To be in relationship with God is to know him. And when Adam and Eve were banished from God's presence for their sin, they lost that intimate relationship with God. They lost it. And, and from that, they, they, they didn't have a true relationship with God. We can only be established through Christ. They were there trying to get a relationship. And actually, this knowing God, this idea of knowing God, was no longer about relationship. People try to know God by almost trying to accumulate facts about him and trying to, trying to understand other things. And actually what you're doing, they miss the point. The Apostle Paul himself, who was the most learned man of his generation, who was smart, who knew things about, he knew his Old Testament, he knew his stuff, he was the guy, he knew everything. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, it said. He was this religious kind of brain box. He knew so much, yet it turns out he didn't even know Jesus because when Jesus turned up, he said, who are you? He broke into his life. And later he wrote in his letter to the church in Philippi, he said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. So everything he had, he, had, he said, I count them as rubbish in order to gain Christ. All this kind of knowledge I'll accumulate is nothing from that true knowing, that true relationship I can have with Jesus. So they lost the knowledge of God. They also experienced negative emotions as a result, and a whole bunch of things kind of came out of the fall for Adam and Eve. It's that they felt um, fearful and anxious. The first emotion expressed by Adam is, after the fall, was, I was uh, afraid. Do not fear is apparently the most repeated command in the Bible. Anxiety disorders are a massive kind of cause of mental health problems in the world. And 
As a result of the fall, we can feel that. We have this desire to get back to a position of security that was lost. So there's fear and anxiousness comes into our lives. Adam and Eve also felt guilty and ashamed. They originally had a sense of significance with God, but then what happened after the fall? They went and hid because they were ashamed. They were broken. And we were all born with this sense to actually gain the sense of significance, to try and get back something that was lost. Imagine if I said to you over the next few months, I'm going to get to know the real you. We're going to spend a lot of time together. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. I'm going to look into your life. I'm just going to be around you. I'm going to be there when other people aren't there. How does that sound actually really quite terrifying? <laughs> because actually then they're going to know, people are going to know what, I'm going to know what you're really like. Imagine you did that to me. You're going to know what I'm really like. You know what I really think, how I really act, what I say when no one else can kind of hear and no one else is around. And we've inherited this sense of guilt and shame from what happened with Adam. We don't have that security. They felt rejected. Originally, they, had, they belonged. They were accepted. They, were, they had this relationship with God. But when it was broken, there was this crushing sense of rejection. They were no longer in the presence of God. They were out. And we all have that desire to be accepted. We all have the desire to belong, to want to, to be kind of in the crowd, or to be known, to be sort of welcomed in. If you've ever been into a situation when you've walked into a room, maybe you had it today, <laughs> if it was your first time here, where you walk into a room and you think, everyone knows themselves here and they're, and they're all really good friends and no one knows who I am. And you have that sense of, I want to be accepted, I want to be involved, I want to be in. And what it means, you know, standing up to peer pressure can be really hard. Have you ever been there where everyone's going one way and you want to go the other because you think that's the right thing, but then you've actually got to stand up and say something. And actually that can be a very, very difficult thing. They felt weak and powerless. Originally, Adam and Eve, they had power to do what God had called them to do, to, to rule over the, 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 the animals and the earth that he had created. But actually now they only had their own strength and resources to, ri- um, to rely on. And we're all kind of born with that sense of a kind of life being out of control and us desperately trying to pull things in so we can, we can bring some order and so we can control what's happening in our lives. Particularly in the West, we try and control everything. We want everything ordered in our lives and our jobs and our family and what's going to happen and our money and our finances. And some of that in and of itself is not wrong, but there's that sense, if you look in the world, of everything wants to be controlled and in order, trying to run it every more because everything we feel so weak and palace because of what has happened in the fall, what's been taken, our position has been taken away from us. And then finally, they felt depressed and angry. Genesis 4, we see Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam and Eve, coming uh, to give offerings to God. God accepts one, God doesn't accept the other. And what is the result? What's Cain's response? He gets angry. He gets cross at God. His face is downcast. That sense of actually this isn't going the way we want it to go. So all this host of stuff has come in since the fall and we all suffer it. We're all part of it. It's all kind of part of our makeup. And what we try to do as a result, we try to go back to the way it's gone to be. How do we get back to that? This sense of loss in life. I want to go back. And the reality is what the world offers us doesn't work. What the world offers us doesn't work. We try and regain acceptance. We try and gain security. We try and gain significance through what the world gives us. And as a result, you know, it doesn't work. It's like, like we're cars. 
and we look the business on the outside, but there's just no petrol in the engine. And if there's no petrol in the engine, cars can't do what cars should do, which is drive. And it may look good on the driveway, and it may, the aircon may work, but unless you can get off the drive and go somewhere, you're not living out your purposes. And the, off, the world offers these false equations. How do we get back what was lost? How do we get back our significance, our security, our acceptance? And the world says, well, if you perform and you have accomplishments, you do stuff that you can talk about, I've done this, I've achieved that, then you'll be, be significant. So if you get status and recognition, That'll bring you security in your life because people know who you are and know what you're about. If you have, get appearance um, and admiration, you look good, look the part, people look to you, people like you, then they will accept you if you get those things. But the reality is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Take the example from the Bible, Solomon, King Solomon. He was the wisest man who ever lived. He was the richest man who ever lived. He was the most powerful man who ever lived. He lived in an age where just, he was so rich and so wealthy that even kind of, it said like silver was nothing to him because he had so much gold and he had, he had power and he was wise and he could write proverbs and people came to listen to him from all over the world. This is the man. And then what does he write in Ecclesiastes? Everything is meaningless and you're like what you had everything Solomon he said no it's all meaningless it's all just stuff it doesn't deal with the actual issue you can't get back to what the problem was just by kind of you know accumulating stuff admiration acceptance money all these things it just doesn't work but we also find out that following the rules doesn't work either following the rules doesn't work we cannot Get better, get back what was lost just by doing stuff. Have you ever been on Amazon and you've gone in, typed in, gone into the self-help section on Amazon in the book section? How many books do you think there are in there? Tens of thousands of books to try and make you better. If you do this, this will happen. If you act like this, this will happen, you know. Get fitter, get stronger, get smarter, get the job, get the promotion, whatever it is. There are so many, and the reality is man can't do that. God illustrated that to us when he gave the law. Early parts of the Bible, he gave the law um, to um, the Israelites. And they said, if you, if you follow these commands, if you follow my rules, I will bless you, it says. And what happens? They fail every single time sometimes quite spectacularly and you almost think wouldn't they learn but the fact is they don't learn we don't learn you can't follow rules to get to God and actually Paul writes in Galatians he says actually the law became a curse it couldn't give you life but the purpose of the law is that it was like a tutor like a teacher the law was meant to teach you somewhere and lead you and where was it also meant to lead you to Jesus it's ultimately meant to point you say, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it by getting these laws because you will fail, fail, fail. So you need Jesus. And God in his grace and his mercy set up a sacrificial system where they would do sacrifices to atone for their sins in the tabernacle, then later in the temple. And they'd do all these sacrifices to, to kind of cover over all the wrong they'd done because they kept failing and breaking the law. But ultimately, what was that all pointing to? Who was the ultimate sacrifice? Jesus, so when he came, no more sacrifices. We don't need to do it. No goats are going to die today. No sheep 
Well, not here anyway. You know, not going to happen because we've had a sacrifice, the one sacrifice, Jesus. And so the reality is the way we find our life now is not the way it's designed to be. It's very, very different. But then we come to the answer, Jesus. What did Jesus come to do? Well, he came to give us back spiritual life. He came, back to, he came to restore our relationship with God, to reconnect us with God. Like a plug that's come out of his socket, he wanted to put it back in, reconnect us to the power source. And this was not something we could do ourselves. He had to do it for us. Jesus was, the Bible describes as the second Adam. He came. He was both physically alive and spiritually alive. He lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. He didn't get anything wrong. He wasn't like Adam, dead and making mistakes. No, he lived this perfect life. He had a perfect relationship with his heavenly father. He showed us something. He modeled something. This is how you were meant to be. But he wasn't just an example. It's not just like, oh, we've got to try and be like Jesus, like a model. No, he came to give us something. He said in John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And this word life, it's all over the New Testament. If you read in the beginning of John's Gospel, it says, in the beginning was the word. And it later says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus later says in John, John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the he who believes in me, though he shall die, sorry, though he dies, yet he shall live. He will spiritually be alive even though he dies. That's what Jesus came to offer. He came to offer life. He came to offer people to be reconnected to God, to be born again, is one of the New Testament languages, to be spiritually made from death to life, to come back and have an intimate relationship with God. What was lost with Adam, you will regain in Christ. It's all about life. What Adam lost was life. What Jesus came to give back was life. That's what he came to do. And he came to restore our significance, to restore our security and restore our acceptance. And he came, he came to give us more than just eternal life in the future. We sang about that, didn't we? This whole idea of this hope of eternal life, which is fantastic, which is wonderful, something to look forward to. But he also said, I'm going to give you a different kind of quality of life right now. Something right now. It's not just for what's in the future. It's not for something I'm just going to put off it's something right now because he wrote um, later the apostle john wrote in 1 john 5 whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the son does not have life very simple equation there if you have the son you have life if you don't have the son you do not have life and the reality is the moment we accept jesus the moment we put our faith and trust in them it says we become children of god that's what happens. That's how it come. And, and ha- what Adam and Eve lost in the fall, Jesus restores, and we come to know him, and we come to have life. And when we have that life, we get acceptance, we get security, we get significance. We are, all those needs that were lost, all those things that came in the fall are now kind of fulfilled in Christ, and we can gain them back, what was lost. We gain acceptance with God, we gain security, we gain significance. And they're fully met in Jesus. And what I want to do now is just look at some of the, what the Bible says about what it means to be a believer. So if you've got your book, I've seen some of you flicking through it. Can you go to page 17? Okay, what you've got there, that's it's over the page as well, page 18. 
What you've got there is a list of things which are what the Bible says about you if you're a believer. If you're a believer here, if you followed, followed Jesus, you put your faith and trust in him, you've repented of your sins, you've been born again, these are true of you. Now, here's the question. Does it matter if you don't feel it? Yes or no? No, good answer. It doesn't matter if you don't feel it. They are true of you. They are true of you if you're a believer. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through them. I think they'll appear on the screen. Oh, look, they're already up there. They'll appear on the screen as well. And what we want to do is we want to read them out loud. We want to declare it. It says, uh, declare these about ourselves. Because um, sometimes saying things about yourself is good, but actually saying them out loud and declaring them can have an effect on you. And all this stuff is stuff that's just found in the Bible, and we're going we're gonna to read them out. And I remember the first time I came across this list, I'll give, you know, can't give away my age, I was at university, which is about 20 years ago now. And I remember reading through it and being utterly shaken, thinking, is this really true about me? So I went and read some of the stuff in my Bible. I said, I'm just going to check the references. And I did, and I think, man, this is what Christ did. This is what he did. This is what I have received. I haven't earned it. It's not because I'm good and I'm better than the other Christian down the road. This is true for all of us. If you're a believer, this is true for you. This is exciting, powerful truth. Because Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's know the truth. Let's be aware of the truth. And what I want us to do is to read this out together loudly. Now, some of you are British here, aren't you? I'm sorry about that. But that means you're going to have to still put a bit of volume on it. Okay, so it's not like... Um, let's, let's speak it out like we mean it. All right? Okay. Shall we start? We're going to read from the top. So we'll read the title, then we'll read the little description, then we're going to go through the list. We won't do the references. Just do the list. Um, we got that. You got it? Ready? Okay. I am significant. I am no longer worthless, inadequate, helpless, or hopeless. In Christ, I am deeply significant and special. God says, I am the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I am a branch of the true vine, Jesus, a channel of his life. I have been chosen and appointed by God to bear fruit. I am a personal, spirit-empowered witness of Christ. I am a temple of God. I am a minister of reconciliation for God. I am God's fellow worker. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I am God's workmanship created for good works. I may approach God with freedom and confidence. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am secure. I am no longer guilty, unprotected, alone or abandoned. In Christ I am totally secure. God says, I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed and sealed by God. I am confident 
that the good work God has begun in me will be perfected. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ in God. I have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. I find, find grace and mercy to help in time of need. I am born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I am accepted. I am no longer rejected, unloved, or dirty. In Christ, I am completely accepted. God says, I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I am united with the Lord, and I am one spirit with him. I have been brought with a price. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I am a saint, a holy one. I have been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I have been redeemed and forgiven for all my sins. I am complete in Christ. That's good news, right? Thank you. That is good news. That is a powerful list. Any one of those is dynamite to your soul in terms of breaking down the lies and putting in truth. All right, let me just sum up and then we're going to have some time worshipping for the, the end. If you're a believer here, they are true for you. Period. Full stop. The end. Finito. They are truth. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to feel them. They are just true facts about you, about what God has done in your life. Going back to the beginning, Adam and Eve had an intimate relationship with God. They had perfect acceptance, security, and significance. They had this relationship with God that was just as it was designed to be, totally harmonious. But they lost it through sin. And as a result, all who came after them, all were born without it. We were, not, we, were not, we were born not how we were designed to live. But Jesus came back to give us life, and life in its fullness, life in abundance, life overflowing. And we can have that right now. It's not waiting for us in heaven as such. It's available to us right here, right now. And I want to just set you some homework here. You've obviously got those books. You can take them away with you. I want you to take that list out and read it to yourself every day this week, out loud. Can you do that? Yes. Thank you. I am a primary school teacher by trade. I will be asking. There will be, you know, punishments if you don't. Just saying. Let's be upfront about this. But I'd love you to do it. Joker's like, I'd love you to do it. Read it to yourself every day. If you're full on like, whoo twice a day. Before you go to bed, once in the morning. First thing, put the, the book behind, by your bed, by your bedside, bedside table, and, and read it. Read it with your spouse, read it with your kids if they're old enough to kind of get this sort of thing. Read it aloud to yourself. When, we go to, when you've got life groups this week, whichever one you go to, take the book. We're going to be looking at them, praying into them, discussing them, particularly have they had any effect on you? Any of the ones in particular speak out? Because in my experience, when you read a list like that, there are certain ones you can remember sitting right now. Some of them might have gone over your head, but some of them are like, yeah, they're sitting with me, they're living with me. That, that, that dynamic of the truth has kind of got hold of me 
And I'd love you just to share our stories about what it is. Throughout the week, be reading them and then coming back next Sunday, I'd love to hear some testimonies about what God's doing. All right. Can the band come back together? Do you want to stand up? I'm going to pray. We're going to finish today. Bit of response time. Now... I don't know what your experience is, um, your relationship with Jesus, I don't know how long you've been walking with him or what's happened along the way, but my experience is sometimes you have these kind of big events, effects where something hits you, something quite radical changes, but I've also found that for the rest of the time, which seems to be most of it, there seems to be just gradual change. And I want you guys to take away by faith today that what you've read out, what you've heard today has changed you. Bible says we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's a slow process sometimes. But what you've read out today, the truth, it will set you free. And you might think, well, I've, just, I've learned maybe one thing today. There's one thing that's come out of my mind. But that means you are a bit more free now than when you came through the door. And I want to hold on to that. And I want to just pray that God will take the truth that you've heard today, root it in your life, and as a result, bear fruit bring transformation to you and what it needs from us is really just a response of faith say God I believe that I'm going to go for that it may not feel like it I can't see angels or hear angels singing you know none of that la 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 you know bright lights but actually God will work within you so I'm going to pray now but I'm asking you guys for a response of faith to say God I will take you at your word I will believe you regardless of kind of my feelings and what's going on in my life I'm going to hold on to your word and I'm going to take it and I'm going to move forward with that. So can I ask you to do that? Maybe you want to just close your eyes. If you like, opening your hands and just it helps you concentrate, do that too. Whatever makes you most comfortable. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your truth and I want to thank you that it sets us free. Lord, I want to thank you that the greatest problem in the history of humanity that we lost relationship with you can be solved through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Thank you that there is an answer to our problems there is an answer to the greatest human need ever lord and that's you lord and i thank you for the truth that you have revealed to us not because we're cleverer than anyone else or better than anyone else or just you in your grace and mercy you have chosen to reveal it to people like us Lord god even though we have failed and and messed up lord i thank you the truths that we read today are true we are saints a company of saints standing here i thank you lord that we are accepted by you even now we don't have to earn our way to your presence it's open that father's becking us he's not just becking us he's running out and grabbing us lord we thank you that we are justified before you we're not guilty we can come into your presence we're part of your body we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. These are wonderful truths, Lord Jesus, and we thank you and we praise them, God. And I ask that by faith, God, you would take these truths, root them in our lives and transform us bit by bit, day by day. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.